coming on. I mean, we just tend to just start, you know. But this You're has been... taller than I expected. Oh, really? Yeah. So who, somebody said that to me the other day as well. Somebody came in to do a podcast and went, Rebel City, and I was like, yeah, and they were like, you're taller than exactly yeah. that. You're taller than what I thought you were going to be. <laughs> Anybody that's seen us will have almost certainly only ever it's, seen us sitting down. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll lower my seat to make Mark feel good about himself, you know? No, no, it's going to take a fucking hell of a lot more than that, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, it's, it's took, us, took us a couple of attempts, but we yeah. got here. We yeah. Got, we got here eventually. Oh. Um, do you like the studio? It's amazing. Like, I love it. Thank you fishing for compliments, man. It's, <laughs> I'm loving the the microphones, the um, the shoes and the pod mic. You can't go wrong with these. I'm a total tech geek, so I get... And it, my husband has told me to stop buying gear, so... Oh, uh, tell yeah. him no. I know. <laughs> well, I've just ordered something else. So oh, superb. It's... I mean, I literally, on the daily, go into Gumtree... <laughs> Search for Shura SM7B, go on to Facebook Marketplace, search for Shura. Because if there's a bargain going, I mean, I don't need it, but I'm buying it. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely buying it. It's to the point where he stopped telling me how much shit costs now, so, it has, like, so I'm not quite in the same boat as your husband, but no far after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you did what, mate? But I'm, I'm with you. Like, I had, um, so when we first started the podcast, it was all, like, I just Googled it, you know, like, would I need to do a podcast? And because I'd been in a band, I had it all sitting in a box in yeah. like, my mum's my house. Um, and I had these like really sort of kind of cheap but really amazing mics that I'd got like in 2003 or 2004, like Samsung, no Samsung, but Samsung. And they sound way better than these shoes. But really? I'm not using them because yeah. you need, I want to use the shoes. You know yeah. what I mean? So I'm a bit of a geek in that way where I like, I want the proper stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but Industry I think standard. I uh, absolutely. But, um, what was it that got you into podcasting? Because, like, me and Matt were talking... I think I read, because obviously, you know, we always do a wee bit of research before on, um, I think your LinkedIn's got podcast at, like, 12 years and such now. I think that... I feel like we got into podcasting and, like, the Glasgow scene quite early and we are, like, two and a half, maybe pushing three, I think three years in August. So you've got, like, nearly a decade on us, according to, you know, the podcast bio, like... That's, you must have been a pretty fucking early adopter of this format. I think we were one of the first. And um, there was a guy, Sean McCann, who I worked with uh, for a telecommunications company who shall remain nameless. <laughs> um, and uh, he was really great with tech. But um, there was actually, there's been several people. There's a guy called Canine Kev who is from Oban. He was like a rapper. Um, but I'd started writing about unsigned musicians as the, unsigned is not really a, it doesn't apply anymore music's changed so much yeah. mm -hmm. um but i loved there were so many people that i really loved and um i just felt that there really wasn't enough of a, a platform for them so i just thought right what you know i'd heard about podcasting and i just like saw little snippets i think it was mostly from america mm -hmm. and they were really starting to kick off there and then I was just like, right, fuck it. Let's just try it. And um, then we just gained like a really good audience and stuff. And the press started picking up and and that's been it. And then it's just opened so many doors for me. So mm. I do, it's my career now. Yeah. yeah. You're one of the lucky ones. Yeah, very much so. And I honestly, I really count myself lucky. But don't get me wrong. I have busted my arse. <laughs> so I've worked 
like hundred hour weeks at times just to to get stuff going. Mm-hmm. So yeah, hi, absolutely. I mean, like you're saying there, the American podcast scene's almost like fifteen years old or something like that. And one of the questions that I had, it's actually quite it's way more evolved than where we are at the moment. Down the list is yeah, like where do you see the UK, the, the Scottish podcasting scene, sort of moving? Because um, the American what the American scene seems so vastly different. I mean, it's wild. They they're They've got some podcasters out there that are now like approaching tens of millions that they're yeah. making off of a podcast, which is sort of strange. But do you see the scene here going that same route, like being able to sort of pull that type of money and influence that they've got over there? Yeah, I mean, there's a few different avenues at the moment that I've started to see is people on reality TV have started getting their podcasts. Yes. And I'm like, right, okay, that's fine. Um, this the true crime thing. I think the UK do phenomenally. I think they do that really yeah. well, um, and that's something that I'd kind of like to really see develop. Um, I have to mention the Big Light, who is the um, network who I'm part yep. of, mm-hmm. um, and Janice and Fiona, who started the network. They are really trying to kind of put Scotland on the map, and I think they're probably one of the people, well, one of the companies who are kind of really pushing things into that that sphere of of getting into those figures Mm -hmm. and making it really serious, but making sure that Scotland is represented. Um, I mean, I was, I was looking at the podcast nominations, the uh, uh, British podcast award nominations. I was really happy to see a couple of Scottish people on there, but at the same time, I see people who've come from radio and I'm like, mm. I'm like, you've already got an established audience. Yeah. And I know so many people who are doing things way better than you, far more interesting, but they are not getting the same focus. Yeah. yeah. So I, it's it's a really bittersweet thing for me. I think that's something that I've kind of become somewhat aware of. And well, sort of the, both the points here is they're both about people with a mainstream sort of radio audience that they can rely on as well as, people with a level of profile, like you say, reality TV and so on and so forth. Like, especially during lockdown, it seemed to be that a lot of people sort of used that time and space to sort of try and kick off the podcast. I think we've commented on it before, but it be interesting to see how much of that maintains beyond the pandemic. You would assume that people with a solid sort of history in an industry like radio are going to be fairly well positioned to build on it in the future. But I'd be quite interested to see how many of these personalities or celebrities maintain it when opportunities to go back on tv and these other things start to you know reoccur you know what i mean and it's it's the producers behind these podcasts the ones that are that make the magic like Mm -hmm. i guess that um there was there's been um the battersea poltergeist was one of the most recent kind of on, on like audio drama things i'm really into that um, like the acting combined with the the narration and the mm. podcasting. And I think, I mean, you're looking at a podcast like that, it takes maybe about three, four years to make. So by the time you've made that, you've put it out and you're researching and all that, it's it's those people, I think, that are sometimes forgotten. Um, Definitely. Which, I yeah, I guess it's... Um, yeah, just one to remember. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, and that, that's that's kind of like where I'm trying to go. Is that I'm not. I'm starting to be like, I don't really know if I want to be in front of the mic that much. But I enjoy. So I really enjoy the tech. So I'm going into the tech. But Matt really enjoys the sort of narrative. So try to maybe think about something about creating narratives for people. And I think really like 
I hate to say it, but I'm kind of waiting for somebody famous or semi-famous or somebody with a platform that I could be like, mate, I'll just do this for you. You yeah. don't even need to think about what you're doing. Turn up. So I suppose I'm kind of playing into that. And as you were talking about that, I was kind of like, oh, I don't really like that. You know what I mean? Like, wh why am I Why am I then looking at the scene the way it's evolved very recently, as Matt said, in the pandemic, and it's became just radio, you know, like Peter Crouch's podcast. That's the number one podcast in the country. Peter Crouch is on Radio 5 Live every week. It's like, leave the space, like, come on. But then, I don't know, maybe that's just podcast elitism or something like that, or, you know, my low self-esteem coming in and going, I don't have the personality of Peter Crouch. He needs to back off so that I can have this space for myself, you know. But but I am no so rocking up to the Stoke Stadium and boots and shinies being like pure... He's a fucking game. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but Scotland's still so far behind. So I think if anything, it is, it's very much about making a safe space for yourself mm -hmm. and getting people to follow that. Mm. Um, and I'm a firm believer in that. And I'm just like, look, if you don't like what I'm doing, that's fine. But I'm still just going to keep doing yeah, it. Absolutely. So. absolutely. And I think that's something that I've actually came to like, love about podcasting is, is that I don't really care about what, what we talk about. It's like, well, see if I want to speak to the person, I'm going to do it. If it And one of the big lessons that I've learned, and I think me and Matt have both went through this, and I suppose I could put the question to you, how you've dealt with this personally, is like looking at the numbers. You know, like the, we've had guests where I'm like, this is going to bang. Like we had one that springs to mind, particularly a guy called Ray Walford, who'd wrote a book about yeah. a, a woman called Kath, Kath Duncan, Kath Duncan, who was like a socialist that grew up in Dundee and was a personal friend of Winston Churchill's wife. And I was like, this is so interesting. Nobody knows Netflix are interested in the book. And I'm like, this is going to bang. 250 people listen to it. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, what? Like, how, then how's on the other that? side of things, we spoke to Cisco and, you know, about, you know, prison recovery and it broke almost every record that we've got. So you're mm -hmm. like, like, there's no, I don't think going into when you're making them, you know, an episode or a podcast, like I find it really difficult to anticipate, you know, what the audience wants. So I think it's probably more important ever that you do you and what you're interested in. You know what I mean? So I think the, the market, the next step for it or, or in general is more niche. Because I think when you look at the, particularly in Scotland, we've all, there's, there's a number of like all good like long form chat podcasts and stuff like that but I'm kind of feeling even though that's largely what we do that it's a format that's kind of maybe getting a wee bit kind of stale and we need to start looking at I don't know mere niche stuff because I think you know if you catch your, your right audience at the right time that's where you're going to sort of build for um did I read did you, if you could uh you're involved a podcast for a woman in North African descent or something like that was it what? Well, my dad's Moroccan, right? Um, so, but I was um, I was mentoring women from Arab and North Africa, right? So to do podcasts, so a number of them have gone on to do that. So that's been amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not confident enough to kind of cover that side of stuff, although. Being mixed race, that's something that I'm working on in the background. Okay. It's been a very, um, it's it's quite a hard space to be in um, and it's very conflictive. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, like a couple of weeks back and he's the same. He's he's mixed race and he's just like, you know, you, you're you just pretty much, you're too much of, well, the, you're one, your side that's not the UK thinks that you're not, um, foreign enough mm -hmm. your UK side thinks you're not white enough 
uh, well, your white side thinks you're not white enough. And then it's just kind of like, but then it's when people don't um, acknowledge your cultural heritage mm -hmm. as well. And that really fucks me off because I'm like, you're just totally trying to whitewash me. And that's mm -hmm. not something um, that, but, but I've been very lucky in terms of the spaces and people who I've more recently over the last couple of years been integrating with mm -hmm. and um Dardishi, which is a Arab and North African collective, and that's who I was mentoring. I was doing the podcast workshops through. Um and then obviously we are here Scotland. Jibemi is one of your previous guests, um, Aika, Brianna, and that's for um, you know, people of colour, you know, black and ethnic minorities. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's it's really nice to find people that kind of maybe understand you a bit better sometimes, mm -hmm. but I still have to recognize my own privilege because I'm very much a light skinned person. So mm -hmm. it's so complicated. Yeah, and I think this is actually one of the sort of things that I, I, I remember listening to somebody that was mixed race not so long ago, maybe like the past few years, and them telling their story about... Um, just exactly what you were saying. I, I'm not black enough for the black community. I'm not white enough for the white community. Where they are sit in all of this and the narratives that are being sort of pushed in society. And I think it's an interesting one because as, you know, culture has become more mixed, more people, more mixed race people are just going to be born. Totally. Like, you know, and, and they, they need a voice. Like, they absolutely need a voice. Um, why, why was it important to you to actually, like, mentor people like of like sort of African descent and get them into podcasting like why was that important to you so I guess in terms of I mean I'm very passionate about that side of of my culture Arab North African in particular and and it's not been until my later years I mean don't get me wrong when we first moved to Danoon well towered by Danoon when I was like eight and my dad was the only Arab in the village. And everyone was just like, what the fuck is this? Because my dad's mm -hmm. very loud. And and I like there was racism and all that kind of stuff that came along with it. But I was almost like, I need to fit in here. I need to adapt to this and so on. And then it's not been since the last kind of 15 years that I've kind of really embraced that side of me. Okay. And I've loved it. And... <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I've got quite upset because I was like, I'm so sad that I've dismissed a lot of that. And I don't feel, even though I'm, I'm very close with my Moroccan family and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But it's that whole thing, especially with um, women of color, it's so difficult. Like there's, you've got the pecking order and no offense guys, but you're at the top. Oh, we know. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. I mean, the, the amount of times that Matt will go, I'll suggest a subject and the Matt will go, we don't need two more white guys talking about this guy. You know, but like once a week, easily. Yeah. So easy. we're aware, you know, yeah. like, and, and we know that we're very um, much privileged. Uh, <laughs> definitely. Two white guys talking to BLM activists and stuff yeah. like that. We're, we're aware that sometimes it might not look great, but we're intentions are pure. Totally. <laughs> and I, 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 that's a really important point as well is, it's about you know kind of bringing it into a stream of of uh, people that are are on the same wavelength as you and mm. your audience mm -hmm. um but yeah so i i just wanted to kind of give back and recognize that privilege that i had in terms of the the technology the um the opportunities that i'd been given um but then it, again you've if, if you go down you've got black women who are even it's even harder for them 
then you're getting into the trans community. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, so I guess I just want to try, and this is not being being a fucking martyr or anything, um, even though you're going to get some dickhead on the internet that's like, oh, you know. Um, but it is, it's honestly just because I, I get such um, comfort and... Um, it's a mental health thing as well. When you when you help people, it makes you feel better, you know? Yeah. When you've done something, you're feeding into the next generation and, yeah, paying it forward and all that jazz. Yeah, and I think for, for somebody like yourself that's got, like, that sort of North African Arabic sort of history and you've kind of made that conscious decision to try and fit into a more sort of, like, Western or, like, into the Scottish sort of culture... There will be even maybe even subconsciously there'll be a part of you that wants to honour that. You know, you, I can understand that sort of like calling to like really engage with that because it's part of your heritage and it's who you are. Totally. You know, and, and it takes a lot of confidence to do that, especially in you know in Scotland. If you go back, like I'm really enthusiastic about all of the people of colour that are now getting platforms and getting voices. And we were talking to Jabemi about oh. how did he find the Glasgow music scene three years ago when he or I don't even Aye. know two years ago when he first moved to, to Glasgow and um I've gone to it, club gigs for fifteen years in Glasgow and I'd, I probably count on one hand the amount of times that, you know I've seen a black rapper in Glasgow. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like even just, you know, that level of visibility or anything it's just no being an inherent part of our culture because Scotland is so overwhelmingly white. Yeah. You and it, I mean? it's like, utterly horrendous <clears throat> that Scottish hip hop is so white given that hip-hop and grime and that culture is from black people. Yeah. So it makes me, it boils my blood. <laughs> yeah. But there you go. Yeah, I mean, we went to a Sunny Govan thing two or three years ago and it, and it was hip-hop based and there, I don't think there was one white artist. And that's, I think, like... We, we we had a bit of a laugh and a joke with Jabemi. I mean, who wants to see more white people rapping? And you know, it's good to see like a, a sort of black rapper get a platform and get boosted. But at the same time, you know, guys I mean, like, like we all my might just know stand and defend the Beastie Boys here right now. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> they are phenomenal. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah, but there's no, that's not a slight at white rapper. Yeah. No, not like at people all. People in Scotland that are they're wanting to do music of black origin or whatever. Like it's just a case of going like it's good to finally hear and see like i'd said that seeing a bbc introducing guy on bbc one extra with an aberdeen top my jaw hit the floor <laughs> like Aye. not in a not in like a a bad way and like a wow i cannot believe that i'm actually hearing a scottish accent and rap that's not making me cringe for one but two, there's there's it's a, also a, no a black guy, Glasgow or Edinburgh, yeah. and yeah. it's no Glasgow centric, yeah, totally. and a black guy and an Aberdeen top, and yeah. just like this is so cool because I feel like maybe even if, if that boy had been about in the past, he wouldn't have put the Aberdeen top on. He'd maybe have been like, nah, that, this isn't the cool thing to do. But he's actually like being like, I'm for Aberdeen, and it's like it's strange and cool for me to see that, you know. And yeah. I think more power to you if you're given. Like you're saying you've had many opportunities and it's like well why would i not give that back yeah. to the community you know what i mean yeah. so no it's been it's been good mm -hmm. so in terms of the the podcast itself like who have you got any like highlights of like bands you brought gave a bit of spotlight to that then you know took after and what that oh my god any big you're ones really putting me on the spot here with podcast um oh my god um i don't really know I, do you know that's really oh Fontaine's DC ah 
So I um that's a really good one actually. So their publicist, I I we get hundreds of tracks sent to us each week. Mm-hmm. I mean to the point that it's just like it's so overwhelming. And um I heard this song by Chuck, like I just thought, right, I'm just I'm gonna actively sit down and listen to absolutely everything. And then this track came on and I honestly I just stopped everything, picked up the phone to one of my friends, Sharon, and I was just like I'm going to send you a song right now. You need to immediately listen to it. So <laughs> she listened to it and she's like, oh my God. I was like, they're from Dublin. I'm going to find out. She's like, we need to put them on in Scotland. We need to do it. And I was like, I totally agree. So we then um, contacted the publicist and I said, can you give me the management details? Put me in touch and blah, blah, blah. And then that was it. Um, and yeah, we put on their first ever Scottish show. And it nice. was like, I have to say that, and, and that coming from a music site to be able to do that. And that was in Block. Um, and obviously Block is, um, it's quite a, a strange place, Block. It's, um, you know, it's had its ups and downs um, and it's been controversial at times. Mm. But see, in terms of a model for a music venue, so they pay the musicians um, it was free entry. Obviously, this is pandemic now, but yeah. um, free entry, um, food, rider, the whole lot, and then it. Um, so that gave us the opportunity to then bring them over, mm. um, and they played and stuff. And yeah, I don't think uh, people still talk about that now, and and they still keep in contact. And obviously, um, their manager Trevor, who's an absolute diamond. I think he was so grateful and I think they were just so overwhelmed by the hospitality as well mm-hmm. of, and the audience in Scotland considering that no one knew who they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then literally a couple of months later and then now they've been uh, they've been nominated for a Grammy and shit like right. that. Yeah. So it's it's absolutely bonkers. Mm-hmm. I mean that, that's point. crazy, but I think that like when you're talking about there like music venues I feel like um that a lot of the sort of music scene in Glasgow, particularly like the big cities, they, they don't really lend themselves to like what you just described there, which is like a new artist that is going to go into big things, but you get them in at that level and you get to see them in block. I mean, what does block hold? A hundred folk? 120, I think. 120 yeah. folk, you get to see yeah. them in that size of venue. That'd be a when you get <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> but when you get that sort of venue and you get that sort of experience, like paying the band, which should absolutely happen, like one of the things that, I hate where passions pay to play. I just can't go it. Like we were talking to Jabemi about this. I was like, so these guys they they call themselves promoters as a joke. Like they don't promote anything. No. They they want you to be. They they actually annex the promotion to you. Here, there's your tickets, go and promote it and sell it for me. It's like it's so lazy. But I think it's the lack of passion that exists within that music scene and and to hear it's took like a podcaster to bring a bit of passion to like a sort of music venue. It's so cool to hear, you know. So you just have done more of that. Like another example of that sort of ability to shine the light on things that maybe mainstream publications or organisations are not covering because, again, they're involved in other things, but because you've got that wee sort of maybe passion project, whatever it is, that, you know, whether it be you, us, or anybody else for that matter, when they take that, 
platform they've got in Shine a Light on a, a very good artist for the first time. Yeah. It's maybe going to, as I say, be that exposure that they couldn't have got anywhere else, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, and that's something I definitely like about the format. Like, um, in terms of, well, we'll move on to the podcast because I'm, I'm not going to put you on the spot anymore. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, obviously, the big one um, recently has been a Sonic Hug um, that you've been doing in conjunction with Big Light. Yeah. Um, the tagline I come across was that it's a sort of safe online and offline space for discussions about mental health. Now, we are actively talking about, well, well, um, I mean, I've talked about it like three times in the last week just because I'm in it, but at the same time, um, it's a really interesting, it was the, the, the offline element to it because obviously I don't, we, we see the online element in your episodes and stuff like that, but I was intrigued to just ask, like, what, what, what does it mean by online and offline space? So offline, what I'd done is I'd started a walking group mm -hmm. in Queen's Park in Southside again pre-pandemic and um, that was one of the best things I've done in my whole life like I just it just really I had people coming like sporadically coming they would maybe pop in and out one Saturday or whatever some people would come every week um, and just to be able just to walk around a park with someone and just maybe not necessarily talk about your mental health, but give them the opportunity to talk about what how their week had been, what they were struggling with in a, a way that wasn't like, um, you know, it's unconscious therapy, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Walk and talk's become yeah. a, quite a popular concept in, yeah. in a, a number of places in, in recent years. Yeah, so that was amazing. And then I... Um, had said, I just put on the website over the pandemic that if people wanted to have one-to-ones with me just to chat, um, because obviously I'd gone through agoraphobia, PTSD, um, extreme anxiety, um, and so on. And I had so many people. So I was having these kind of telephone or online talks with people and yeah, and they still some of them are my really good friends now and That's it's amazing. like yeah it's been really good yeah wanting I mean, talk for an agoraphobic must have been quite a a challenge was that something you deliberately picked or was that just something that naturally happened yeah yeah so walking's been the thing that has helped me probably more than anything um yeah Agoraphobia for me was utterly horrendous. Have you guys either ever I had an aunt that was agoraphobic and she was agoraphobic for like the first 15 or 16 years Holy of my life. shit. And it came, it stemmed from my uncle that I never met had bullied her. Right. Um, and tried to like contain her in the house, like be that sort of traditional housewife. This is back in like the 70s, you know, that this yeah. happened and they split up. And I, I knew nothing but that she couldn't leave this house, you know? Like, I didn't understand it. I was like a wee boy and just thinking, what's going on here? But as I've got older, I mean, I'm a cognitive behavioural therapist. Yeah. So I understand it now, you know, and, and I get it. But when I was a wee boy, I was just like, what the, what's going on here? Mm. Like, she she can't leave the garden. It was like this mythical barrier at the gate where she couldn't cross this and, yeah. or she would have a complete panic attack. Like, I wouldn't say I've had any personal experience. I've had anxiety at the point where the notion that I'm stepping outside the house was laughable, but I wouldn't have said it was because the outside was the challenge. It was because I just wanted to hide inside. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know if that's comparable in any way. No, I, th I think it definitely is. And um, it started when I worked for going back to said telecommunications company. Yeah. And um, for those that, me and Alina both worked for the same unnamed telecommunications company and both had an absolute horrendous time. It was, <laughs> it was utterly horrendous. And 
they really did not understand, and I think you can attest to this as well, was how to handle mental health, what we were going through, what certainly what I was going through. They literally, and I felt I was almost punished because of it. Mm. Um, but I was so terrified of not going to work, getting fired, not having an income, mm -hmm. that it got to the point that I was just debilitated and I just couldn't leave the house. It started for me on public transport. I had a massive panic attack on the train. And um, I just didn't know. I'd, I'd had panic attacks and I just thought, I don't really know what that is. Mm -hmm. And then this one to the point I was actually banging on the train windows to get me off and it was rush hour. And oh, it was, nice. I was mortified. And I just, after that, I was like, I cannot go back. I can't get back on that. I don't know what to do. So I started paying £200 a month for taxis to get to and from work. Yeah. Um, and... I was put on a final written warning. So that was almost like a death sentence yeah. in itself. And I was trying to explain to them and I shouldn't have even been put on that final written warning. And I tried to take it as far as I could, but they all rallied against me. Um, and that was a common occurrence. Yeah. And then the, so then that was it. I had to just get through it. And I, I look back now and I go, how did I get through that? I cannot believe it. So, so yeah, so walking, I, it was the only, um, I, I was fine for a few years. I'd kind of got myself a bit back to normal, as normal as, as you want to be. And then I had another wobble and it was on a bus and I was just absolutely like, where has this come from? I don't know where this has come from. Um, and I was like, I, I need to, I was in a different job, but I was like, I need to get in. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to start walking and see if I can do it. Cause I wasn't physically very fit at that point. Um, and it's, it was south side to city center. And I mean, it's not too bad. It's about like half an hour, 40 minutes in. Um, but yeah, it, um, started doing that and then that was it. It just opened up this whole, like, holy shit, man, I feel actually amazing. Mm. So yeah. So don't get me wrong. I've had some, still had some wobbles, but you'll know from speaking to several people is that. It's, I think once you've got that acceptance that you do, you have to live with this now, then that reduces it, it does. immeasurably. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. So the coping strategies and, but at least I know what's happening. I think the world of work has changed. I mean, it will be different for you now because you're largely going to be freelancing yeah. and, you know, doing what you do, thankfully. Um, I still, I'm like under the, just, you know, I'm an employer. I think, you know, back in those early days of that, time at the telecommunication company was the first time I ever tried to address anything in my mental health and even in just the sort of 10 years since I think business has got a much more sort of solid grasp of things like well-being you know what I mean so as much as the people in that particular company weren't always necessarily equipped to deal with it like I don't think there was really an understanding <laughs> in any industry at the time it was this new idea that oh well, you know people need to you know address their mental health and like I, I think companies nowadays are much less punitive um, than was previously the case, which I think is progress, you know what I mean? But um, mm -hmm. It's been progress for, like, profit's sake, though. Aye, oh, like, yeah. yeah. You know, no, they, they found out yeah. that it was costing them billions of pounds a year and they decided to try and address it, and they try and address it in ways like, you know... Um, I like sit down like sort of guidance counsellors and like sort of call centres and that type of stuff, and it, it feels kind of hollow, I mean, in some respects, but I think, like... One of the big things that 
I'm really enthusiastic and passionate about is like being able to do therapy for people for like not a lot of money. Yeah. And I'm trying to use this podcast to do to supplement that for people in yeah. low income. But I don't think that we truly have an understanding of just quite how like income and security really impacts people. Like you just saying there, like how that if you can start with sort of low level poor mental health, but a bad work environment and then the insecurity of the income and then poor experiences, you can just spiral into like the worst types of like mental health experiences and that <laughs> cause cause the like, yeah. you know. It upsets me so much that um again it's that it's that privilege is that you get so many people, I speak to so many people who are middle class or they've they've got a bit of money, they've managed to pay for their therapy. But then when you go down and you've got people low income, they don't first of all, they have no fucking idea what it is that they're going through. Mm-hmm. And then it's like they ha- you put on that, and that's one of the things from talking to people on a silent hug as well, is you, you tell someone that you're gonna kill yourself, and then they're like, right, well, we need to put you on a waiting list. You're on that waiting list for nine months. And then it's like, but but and they're asking you, you do you think you're actually gonna kill yourself? Well, you have to fill out a form and say, I, there's been so many times that I've felt suicidal and I've been in either a doctor's surgery or whatever and that form's been given yes, to me. the questionnaire. Yeah, and I'm like, I, I, I've been mortified. I can't sit here and tell these people that I'm going to kill myself. No. So. Yeah, it's, it's such a harrowing experience and one of the one of the other things that I'm getting for people now is that they'll be like, the therapy that I actually got after that six-month eight month wait was so ineffective totally. because the person that, and, and as much as you know i try and be as compassionate as possible everybody and you know and try and sort of go with that level deeper to try and understand people's motives as a therapist you kind of need to do that you know you can't yeah. just be judging people otherwise you'll never really connect with anybody but the guys that that are these they must have studied for so long for them to get 45 minutes with somebody and i do two hour sessions with people because the guy that's mentoring me is like, you can't do it in an hour. No. It's impossible. You need to extend that out to really get a grasp of what people are going through and try and get them to come up with the solutions for themselves. So it's it, I feel bad for the people that are in that system having to sit with people in front of them going, I'm going through this horrible time. There's nothing they can do about yeah. it because they're restricted by the system itself. Yeah. You know? It's something that's quite, it's and in terms of the, the sort of podcast and things like mental health, it's something that has become like a really big sort of topic. And as I say, you've got a, a great experience in the, the sort of sector or industry or whatever you want to call it. Like, why was it important that a Sonic Hug was also another podcast that addressed sort of mental health? So the, the, it was always my aim and it took me... So I recorded my episode 49 times and, yeah, and it was horrendous. And every t- I cried every single time I had to record <laughs> And um, I sent it back to to the network to listen. And they were like, oh, my God, this is so powerful. And I was like, yeah. Um, but it was always the aim that I wasn't going to sugarcoat stuff. Mm. And I was just like, I- I'm fed up of this. I'm fed up of listening to these podcasts or, you know, ITV. Because what you're saying there about the whole, um, the hollowness of, of bringing this mental health stuff into companies it's that same hollowness when you watch programs like this um, this morning or Good Morning Britain, yes. and they're like, "Oh, it's Mental Health Week," or it's Mental Health Week on ITV, mm-hmm. but they continue to sugarcoat all the crap that's happening. Whereas I wanted just to say to someone, "Tell me everything that you are feeling. Just do it, and just let's just say it." 
and that was it and th- and that's been the thing and i think that that's um that's been the biggest response from people is like thank fuck i'm not the only person that's thinking this mm, or yes. um you know and there's like there was one episode with kirsten she does marbles mag and my god she was talking about how she was feeling suicidal from the age of 7 and i was just you know you listen to these things and you're just like I more people need to hear this. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, and that, that's basically what it was. It was just to kind of similar to why. Well, we ended up starting. Well, this is a very similar thing to how we. You know? I mean, we're very lucky in the sense that we've kind of went on similar journeys at a similar time, having a, a background with each other, and a, you know, a pre-existing relationship, and like I, the honesty that I have when we talk is something that I have subsequently after being part of this. I've taken into my everyday life and and you know have these those conversations I had one very recently in the, in the last few days with my parents where you know i'm off the noon you know we've covered in previous episodes and stuff like that and my mum and dad have got to a stage where they can now ask me questions about it because yeah. they know that i'll actually respond but one of them was like how long has this been the case and i recounted a story with them where and again, just as you say, just matter of fact, like that, you know, the first time I basically put a pillow on my face and tried to suffocate myself, I was like 11. Um, and I, I'm so used to that conversation now that yeah. I forget how impactful it is for other people because, like, I went home and an hour later, my dad was on the phone and was actually like, I was like, I'm so sorry. I just naturally slipped into my routine of just being honest. And he was like, No, I'm phoning you. Thank you. And I was just like, What? And he's like, What? telling it like it is is something that has let me understand more and all my dad's like what 75 now you know what i mean yeah. like, and he's now having conversations like i was depressed and i, I remember this and i think maybe feels a bit guilty and stuff like that and i'm like it's no no about guilt it's just the way it is you know yeah. what i mean that sort of thing so i think the conversation is amazing but i i, I they often forget how impactful they are and yeah. i'm no surprised that you're saying that the feedback you've had for people is that people are like, wow it's unbelievable yeah. to hear somebody mm-hmm. talk in these kind of terms I've got, I've got a question off of the back of that like we and, and i hate this right the the whole we didn't have that we didn't have anxiety and mental health like, i remember my mum being like my nerves are shot and as an adult now, I'm like, oh, my mum suffered from anxiety, clearly, totally. clearly, you know, like just the, the language was different. Aye. So why are the older generations to say, my dad, sort of pushing you, back towards this? I get depression. This. I know you did, but my dad used to call up, I was, I was scunnered. I'm taking a few days off, I'm scunnered. And I, I can now look back on it and go, mm-hmm. that was my dad's fight. So you know what, what I mean? Why, my, are we, why are we seeing the sort of, I mean, for lack of a better term, the boomers, but you know, like they, they are pushing back and they're going like, we didn't have this, like you just need to just pull your socks up, you know, like that type of sort of nonsense. But why are they not going, oh, it's just a different language that you're using, but we went through the same stuff. Yeah. You know? So I think the internet's got a big part to play and the communication between everyone is, is massive. Um, I think things are, are softer now. People are more empathetic. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. My mum still, <laughs> she was a nurse, right? And, you know, I t- say something like, you know, I've cut myself. She's like, unless you're bleeding, die on that floor, then I'm not actually, you're fine. Mm. And it's like, right, okay. Um, but see now, totally different. Like she, like she'll really pick up on stuff. And that's because she suffered from uh, PTSD over 
pandemic mm-hmm. um she was really? on one of the yeah she was on the, one of the last flights back from australia oh, um, wow. and it was utterly horrendous i had i was tracking the flight for 24 hours and it's the first time in my life that i've thought oh my god i'm actually gonna like have a heart attack she needs to just get back yeah mm-hmm. um but in terms of a wider audience i just don't know like it's 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 that whole thing i think it's diluting itself a bit more but i think it's a class thing as well and i think it's a regional thing i think that very much white working classes you know just get on with it but then i've spoken to a lot of people we were uh, word up which is another podcast which i produced and um, we did a mental health special and um the, this is what, BBC. This is the BBC, yeah, the BBC sounds. Yeah, BBC sounds. Yeah. And um, the two of the hosts were were saying that from a, an African. Um, so in Africa, and I know this from North Africa as well, but South, East, and West Africa, and they were like, "You just hide it. You do not want to show that shame. You do mm. not want to show that weakness." Yeah. Um, and it's it's about that. It's about weakness. It's about pride. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, oh come on. You know, let's just... It's funny when we, we frame it in those terms or anybody frames it in those terms because when we hear the types of conversations that we've had and that, that you're having with your guests, like, oh, I hear a strength. Like, and that's one of the things that nowadays I focus on when I'm at my worst is that I've done this before. I've been on the road. Like, I've come out before. I'll come out again. And when I hear other people share their experiences, like, I hear strength. I don't hear weakness. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean, I think I said that I've, many a time. Like, it, there's more strength in a man that's willing to put his hands up and go, "I'm not, I'm suffering here. Can I get some help?" Yeah. Than what I did, which was for the 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 first twenty five years of my life, was puff my chest out and try and make it seem as if I was the biggest guy in the room. Yeah. I did the opposite of what I should have been doing. Should have been asking for help and talking to like my friends, mm-hmm. people that are closest to me. And instead, I just thought now I'll be the big man like that that sort of thing and I I agree I think that there's an element to it that's class and I think like when I think about my parents I've got memories of like them feeding me and my sister like frozen pizzas for farm foods and not eating so I'm like how did you not have a mental health issue yeah so they definitely did like but then you do see quite a lot of the sort of middle class that will be like, we never had any of this. It's like, well, you didn't have all of these things going on. And the additional pressures the that come schemes on. Right? Were, they were terrible yeah. at times, you know, in the mental health that went on. I mean, like Matt's parents, my parents, my dad used to go to the pub every day. Yeah. So my dad had to have like three or four pints of lager every day just to get by. Yeah. It's like, oh, we didn't have that in our day. And it's like, yeah, but sorry, I don't want to be an alcoholic. <laughs> and I want to try and get myself to a point where I can thrive, you know, but now that they just want to shit all over it. Um, we were, you were talking uh, earlier, we were talking there about sort of like financial insecurity. And very recently I've became a freelancer and I'd seen that you'd put like a sort of call out on Twitter about like wanting to speak to people about their experiences with freelance. And I think that there is a, a sort of online thing about like, you know, go out there, do it for yourself and you, you go and make that money and this this side hustle and, you, you know, like... What are your experiences? Like, what are the things that you've experienced that have been sort of positive and negative? Because in my mind, and I'm very much just there, I'm I'm only a year in, there's a trade-off that's happened. I no longer worry about getting the sack, but now I worry about the money and really hyper-focused on how much money I've got coming in. Where's my next payment coming? Because I don't have my salary. But is that a similar sort of thing for you? Yeah, so 
I think even as a woman, there's an added aspect to it that I, I, well, first, and I'm not saying that men don't suffer from imposter syndrome, but I'm so used to being battered for years, like down in terms of confidence by men that have worked above me mm. or have worked in tech fields, especially in sound mm-hmm. and going, oh, do you need help? Oh, I don't, I think you could do that better. Um, and then you start to totally doubt your ability. Um, and then now I do stuff and I'm like, yeah, I'm actually doing it better than you. So I don't <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> But it's also, um, so positives, I get to meet, obviously, some amazing people. Mm -hmm. And I get to, um, you know, you build some fantastic relationships. And and you never know where that one is going to, like, they can get back in contact with you in a year and give you something massive. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, so I I guess that that's been a positive, um, you know, having to, not having a, a regimented week, you know, I mean, even though I'm, I'm a big fan of structure, um, the negatives. <laughs> yeah. And that's something that I've struggled with. <sighs> I struggle, I struggle big time with that. Like, I, I don't, don't think know. I could trust myself freelance. I think I'd spend like at least 65% of my time in my pajamas playing football manager. Well, you, you think that, I mean? you, you think <laughs> you the anxiety kicks yeah. in and you're like, I'm going to go and find something yeah. to do today. I yeah. mean, I don't know about you, but I struggle with my days off now. Whereas yeah. when I worked Monday to Friday, 95, let's just say my days off were dedicated to me and I, and I deserve this. But see now I'm looking at my days off and going, shit, man, I need to get something booked in here. Yeah. Get me? Which is another sort of anxiety that just creeps in. You don't expect. I feel guilty when I take time off, which is, <clears throat> it's horrendous. And um, it makes my, my husband, I think quite upset because mm. I think he sees how much I do work, but it's that whole thing of you don't want to say no to anything. Mm. And I mean, even the shitty stuff, you're like, no, I better say yeah. Um, it's knowing what your self-worth is. So see when someone says, oh, I'm going to pay you this, and you're like, that's a bit low. But then you're like, okay, well, maybe that that is what I'm worth. And then you meet someone and they go, no, mm-hmm. you need to be charging quadruple that. And yeah. then you're just like, right, okay. So that's <clears throat> I've only learned that in the last two years. And that's thanks to strong people who like the big light mm-hmm. they've kind of almost shown me what it is that you know i just how tradable ex- commodity your exactly, talent is exactly Aye. um and then i guess the other negatives my god um it's still that imposter syndrome i don't think i'll ever get rid of that and i'm always doubting myself every single job that i go into and I go, am I, have I done a good enough job? Am I doing this right? Is this what they're going to want? Mm-hmm. What if they turn around at the end and they say, this is shit, you're going to have to do it all over again or we're not using you again. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's exhausting. I mean, seeing that, I mean, obviously, like, I, like my therapist mind went on there and I was like, that makes that makes you good, you know? Like, you could, it's like, see if you took that away, maybe what you're doing might be shit, you know? Yeah. Like, you've clearly got you want your work to be great which is an amazing quality and obviously you've got some high standards for yourself and as a woman in the audio industry i don't know if people really understand that that if even if being in bands and i've been in many a recording studio i don't think i've seen one woman yeah in a recording studio and i'm not even i don't think i'm like exaggerating I've no, I think I've been on one so I think all of the feelings <laughs> that you're feeling on that one. Oh, or like your motivations and stuff like that but then they, they tend to then get a wee bit too much you know and get a wee bit overwhelming and, yeah. and, and even I and even I feel that you know and, and 
And they even, see some of the shit that like female like journalists and writers it's a fairly regular occurrence on their feed by guys like Eve and all the rest of it where there's you know regularly posting some of the just nonsense they get sent because people think that they can talk down to you know extremely high quality journalists and so on and so forth again in that sort of freelancing mm -hmm. sphere but I think that's see being honest as well just it, it, if you know I don't think it, it I don't necessarily think it has much value but I was really like I need to make this podcast good because this is a big guess you know so you get a oh, good okay. reputation and, and <laughs> within that the community like definitely people are looking up to you so if you've yeah, got that sort a lot of imposter, people don't you know, like me as well though so i, I will think, fuck them yeah. like, who cares who cares what they think yeah so I, yeah i, I, I savor their tears and you're successful that's what i do like but no definitely it, it, as much as um you know like i said i don't know how much that but that is definitely like you've definitely got a good reputation and everything that you said there about the imposter syndrome just makes you better at what you're doing yeah. so how is it you know, for the early days of podcast on the way through how how is the big light changed what you're doing like kind of how you approach it sounds as though for what you're saying there working as part of that network has had a, a fairly significant impact on how you approach your work. Yeah, massive. Like having, so uh, Jennifer Sice is obviously um broadcaster. She's mm -hmm. a journalist. Um, and Fiona White, she's come from telly. So she's done production. And um, the two of them t combined, like in terms of having, for me in particular, having two strong women to kind of almost guide you, um, that, and and just I guess even from a professional standpoint is introducing you. So when I was doing when I do podcasts or when I was doing them, I'd just be like putting in this shitty running order together and just be like, right, okay, this is just what we're doing. And um, you know, everything was just not really it was off the cuff and like I am organized, but not to the point. So then when I started doing Word Up, I was like, oh my God, this is utterly incredible. And I learned so much. And um just from the research side as well, I was very fortunate enough to work with, um, and I still do work with her as a, a um, woman called Arisa Kreshi, who's a phenomenal journalist. Mm -hmm. And um, she, so the two of us worked together and um, I think the two of us learned a lot. Um, and I guess that it was just that professionalism. It was the, um, A, trusting us with this, because I think it was the first um you know, contract of that kind that the the network had got in terms of from the BBC, but yeah. it was, I, you know, at the same time the pressure on you, it was just. But I, it, you never felt that you couldn't go to them and say, I don't know if we're going in the right direction with this, mm -hmm. you know. And it was the feedback and the mentoring almost mm -hmm. that was happening at the same time. And honestly, like I learned more in those three months than I have done in twelve years. So what's the biggest lessons that you've got for working with them? Um so uh oh my god, biggest lessons. I guess don't doubt your your own ability is mm. a massive one. Um just be very bold and I guess is to um it was just more about some of the production techniques mm -hmm. and things in terms of producing. And remembering that a podcast, because when I've done podcasts and, you know, a podcast is very different from radio. It's very much off the cuff and, 
you know that's what makes it so enjoyable it's mm -hmm. not with a radio schedule you're it's like it's tight you yeah. know there's segments, segments and, and all that kind of shit but with the podcast it was them kind of almost bringing that love of podcasting back and saying you know and, and suggesting certain production aspects and all this kind of stuff um, and then, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, it took me about three episodes to get into my stride. But And, and to the first three episodes took me, must have been about 12 hours each um, to edit just the narration audio <coughs> between the two hosts because I was so paranoid. And then by the fourth one, it was like, oh, it's an hour and a half. I've done it. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, and it's that confidence. So my confidence is built more. So that's the biggest thing is, is confidence. I right. Guess. Yeah. And what up is you're more behind the scenes in production and so this produ or producer and editor. Yeah, yeah. And then Arisa's um she is um researcher. We've got our two hosts, Vanessa and Etienne. Vanessa's massive on YouTube. And um Etienne, he's his um he's done like uh, Scotland's first black superhero comic. Yeah. So he's incredible. So oh. Beats of War? Yeah, Beats of War, exactly. No. Um and then Janice, she he was, was in my screenshots. Of... The one of the ones I was keeping an eye on, and then I think he popped up on Sean and we're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's oh he's the loveliest man. Um and then Janice was kind of over. She was an exec producer. Um, but yeah, it's uh, one of the the studio that we, Fiona and Brian, who um, have the studio, is it's one of the sweetest studio spaces I've ever seen in my life. And I was just going home. Sorry, to my <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, sorry. I'm don't so worry about sorry. it. Don't worry about but, it. Um, we don't get bell bones in a shop. But I mean, this is like, it was like walking into fucking Abbey Road and I was just like, I, I would honestly... Is that the one that Sean uses for blethered yes, sometimes? I've yes. seen on his Instagram and it, it looks like made a veil it's or something. Insane, it does look, it looks insane. beautiful, big high ceilings. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and um, I would go home to my husband going, yeah, that's the dream. That's we've got it now. That's the bucket list, the goal. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think that that's really Im important. I think for some people, you, you know, like to hear that there is a team behind a podcast. Like some of the going back sort of to the American podcast, you're looking at some of these guys. I mean, like Tom Segura's podcast, they've got like thirty people that work in that thing. They've got a guy that's there exclusively really? to go through TikTok and pull funny videos for them. So you're like, in one hand, you're looking at this sort of job? final product. Find a comedian that likes you, mate. <laughs> um, like you've, and you're looking at this final product, and you're thinking these guys are really funny. And look, how do they find the time in the week to pull all this content together? Yeah. They're doing like four or five different podcasts. And it turns out they've got a full production behind yeah. them. You know, they're just the sort of face of it. So I think sometimes like people maybe doubt themselves, maybe like produce their own podcast and go, why is mine's not on the same level as oh, yeah. something like this? It's like, because yeah. guys, come on. Like, I think get, that's why I like talking to other podcasters vote. because one thing I learned very quickly as we Apart started this. Placement, so, they know the mic placement. You don't get, you get people that are sitting and they're like, I saw you, let me, let me pull the mic in, please. Like, come on. <laughs> we shouldn't let put the mic. What was I going to say? Sorry, I, yeah. I like talking to other podcasters and I've completely lost the chain of thought there. Uh, I, it's, it's because we get to see, right, so I just snip this. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, um, <laughs> one of the things I like talking to other podcasters because we get that insight into how other people work. So, like that notion that there is a team of people behind it. Like, I remember we went to drunk, did, we did drunk therapy and they were in the Capitol FM building. And I had it in my head that 
the way we did podcasts was just the way people did podcasts when you walked in and there was an actual recording studio and as you say guys who were you know production assistants or whatever it is it's a bit like oh hold on and then as we go and talk to other podcasters like no there's no standard sort of way to do it like but again the the further down the line and the more we get involved and you know other things coming into play it definitely helps you know what i mean like to have that team that support and not just me and you like bouncing shit off each other like in yeah you know, whatsapp groups or whatever it is so it's definitely a benefit to have that like unit around you mm-hmm. yeah um i th- I was listening to a sonic hug actually like in, in the build-up obviously i think jabemi's episode i was a friend of jabemi's before um before his episode and i think that that was i was like i'm going to give this a listen because not only do i know the guy but i've heard of this podcast as well um and one of the episodes i can't remember who it was because i I listen to podcasts in double time. Yeah. So like, I just don't get it. Nobody I, I meet is like, how do you do that? I'm like, because I want to get through them. So like, I, I, my ears have became accustomed. It's hard at first, right? But as you get, you listen to it more, double the speed. You, you and when you edit, I can I edit my podcast in double time as well. So it's just I don't know. My ears have just became accustomed to it, right? So, <laughs> but one of the guests was saying that we don't know how to communicate and we don't know. Like we don't have the language yet quite sorted for how we feel and, and how to express that. And I was interested to for speaking to all these people, what do you think is going to be the sort of best strategy for us to develop that? Do you think it's going to be school led or do you think it needs to be kind of like the home that 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 really sort of develops that? So school for me, like education. Um, is like key I guess and I think but I know that they are starting to bring it into school now and they're having more mental health um, lessons and those conversations are happening Um, and I think that that's the problem is that when it's it's about normalizing that from a young age so that when they're getting to Mm. teenagers because if I'd have gone to secondary school and they uh, I know some of the people would just have been like I'm not talking about this shit you know I'm just and blah 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 um, but I also think that the government are a shit show and um, which is a, you know, it's a given. It's an, They're an easy target um, because they are so horrendous at addressing this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the mental health service uh, services are so criminally underfunded, but I feel so sorry for those services as well because I, the... I mean, obviously, the pandemic has probably just, um, I know it has, it's created even, like, we're literally at crisis point now. Mm-hmm. And yes. I think it's it's no, there's no just one key thing. I think if anything, you know, obviously education in school, um, but I just, I want people to have access to therapy. That That's just what I want, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think... For me, no offense, uh, CBT didn't work for me. Um, I've tried hypnotherapy. I've tried everything, mm-hmm. but it was long-term talking therapy for me. But I think that's the other thing is <clears throat> is giving people the opportunity to find the therapy that is su- suitable yes. for them. Yeah, making them not feel ashamed that well, if you want that therapy, you're going to have to wait another six months or if you want to go down this route and blah, blah, blah. They have to be able to to find what's suitable for them. Um, So that's one thing I've learned on that podcast as well. But I think it's just 
Yeah, and just normalizing <coughs> the conversation, which, you know, is is a constant. But, um, and then just, I'm so sick to death of all these frilly fucking things on social media as well. Like, you know, let's have a glass of water to, um, or let's go, let's step out and look at the trees. And it's like, mm. mate, no, I'm thinking about killing myself. Yes. What, what are you going to do it's about it? It's quite ironic that one of the, the videos we recorded during the week was we, we kind of addressed the the walking side of things because that's something that, you know, in these conversations with my parents, for example, my dad would always go, well, you, you know, if you tried going for a walk, <laughs> you're like, Dad, I'm nearly 40. I've been depressed for the large part of the last 25 years. If a walk was going to do it, it would have done it already. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's not to say that I don't benefit from getting out, getting a bit exercise, getting air every once in a while, but I don't weaponize that in the way that, you described for you so again it is again just a totally personal thing but i found totally. that one quite you know we were very much getting it well it's about you it's about your approach it's about what works for you yeah and there you know your point immediately just contradicts my complete lack of engagement with like, the walking side of things you know what i mean like, unless i really need to like go and let off some steam and just get out the house i fair enough but mm -hmm. it's no oh shit i'm feeling bad today i'm going to go for a walk yeah you no, know what I mean? and well, don't get me wrong there's days that i'm like fuck the walking <laughs> i i need to tank something i need to tank two bottles of wine because i cannot get through this day or yeah. think that that's what i want to do yeah or i am literally i just want to run away like i haven't said this but um i had suicidal feelings as close as last year and the police had to come to my house and that's the first time that that's happened. And I was just like, why the fuck are the police here? And it was like, sorry, but we, you know, we we have to check that mm -hmm. you're of okay. Course. And and I was just like, oh my God. And then you, it's just this additional shame because you're like, oh man, yeah. you know, now the police are here and oh, I don't think I can kill myself now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like. I can't even imagine. I think to be the, the shame is the sort of critical bit when somebody's in that. Yeah. It's, people don't realise that it's not just the mental health issue that causes people a lot of sort of distress. It's the feelings that they have related to that, like I'm a burden. Or, totally. Like that's, yeah. These are the big things. It's all about relation to yourself. And going back to what you said about CBT, I, I meet people all the time that are like, CBT would never work for me. And I, I genuinely think the critical part of therapy is the therapist yeah you need to have the kid it doesn't matter what they're doing if you can't speak to that person open and honestly and feel a connection no matter what style it is it's pointless yeah it's completely and utterly pointless it's about I suppose it shares a, a thing with podcasting in that respect as well doesn't it because you know these conversations can only happen i think when you feel you know, in a safe place with somebody that you can trust who's also, you know, got all that level of empathy, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's, that's exactly it. It's like, it's the fact that you, that us three can sit and talk to each other and go, I know, I've felt like that. That And it's talking in a way that you can relate to mm -hmm. is as opposed to someone saying, you know, well, like you say, have you thought about going for a walk or... Um, I think even walk? worse than that, it's the whole, you know, like your your consciousness and the subconsciousness and do you really know how these things yeah, interact with each other? And, and, the, and it's like, get it, come on. Like, yeah. As much as I, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody, indulge in that, you know, and, and meditation is 
like the vital part of my my mental health practice. That's like the the, the bullseye for me. Like I don't ever speak to people that come in for sessions and, and tell them about their subconscious and, and the conscious mind until they're like eight sessions in and I'm like, they don't think I'm going to be an arsehole by talking to yeah. them about these old sort of abstract ideas. Abstract ideas. Yeah. It's about talking to each other in a way that we can relate and really and the guy that mentors me <clears throat> is a guy called Dr. David Burns and he's the head of psychiatry at Stanford University and he's one of the pioneers of cognitive behavioral therapy. His he says that his favourite thing that he does is his hike on the Sunday. Yeah. And he gets everybody that's doing his therapy, comes and does this hike, and he doesn't speak at all. Says that he talks with his family, but they all start to speak to each other. And he's, he's like, it's the community that then, yeah. and that brings everybody together and they start to feed off each other and give each other advice. And he's like, it's beautiful. So and that's, I think that's, that's what people been part get, of you know. A sonic hug. I've had people who've done the podcast and they've reached out to each other. So people who've experienced grief for example, will feel some of the same things and and so on. And yet that's been really beautiful as well. Ima so. Imagine, I mean, I just literally get like a shiver and I thought, imagine starting a podcast that ends with people being able to get grief support. That's amazing. Aye, I can't, I you must be so proud of that, you know? Do, yeah, do you know, I was, someone said that to me. I'm very, um, like, I, I'm so down on myself and I hate praise or anything, but I... Honestly, it's the best thing I've ever done and I'm so proud of it. Like definitely. It's mm -hmm. it's been hard work and don't get me wrong, I had to take a bit of a time off before this next series. Um because you do you take on other people's This um, is definitely something stuff, that, so yeah. When you're talking about issues, there are times, especially if you're no at hundred percent yourself, yeah. but it's it's hard not to take on some of what people are bringing yeah. to the table. You know what I mean? Like we obviously spoke grief in a, a very, a, a mere sort of sanitised, you know, whether a charity come in and talk about the services they offered and stuff like that. But it was really just to highlight that in the pandemic, their support was available to people. But at the same time, I that's not something that I think I could have got any deeper into. We are guessed at the time, you know what I mean? Like I think we got to the, you know, just below the surface level and I think if we went any deeper, that would have been something that and I would have carried away with myself, you know totally. what I mean? Like the issues when we talk to people about addiction, like I that's something that's with me for days afterwards. You yeah. know, and sometimes the days in the build up to it as well because it's such a, a sensitive issue, you yeah. know what I mean? Like but I it's 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 definitely definitely difficult not to like when you're here empathizing with somebody not to yeah to take some of that. Yeah. Own. Mm -hmm. I think you'd be a sociopath if you didn't. Oh. You know? How could you sit and listen to somebody tell you they're, they're breaking their heart about their, their mental health and just be like, that was great, thanks very much, now talk to you later, bye-bye. <laughs> Jump into editing and be like, that was fantastic, I'm, I'm loving yeah. what I'm doing. But, um, I mean, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been such such a nice to actually like um, sit down and talk to you. But just before we, we go, like, what have you got coming up next? I mean, sounds like season three of Sonic Hugs on the horizon. Yeah, so I've been recording that. Um, I'm producing a podcast series for Fringe of Colour who it's a festival for uh, people predominantly black people so that's been incredible um like very honored to do that um and then yeah i've i've been offered a few more things that i can't talk about of course. unfortunately but um yeah i'm just at the moment i'm just going 
am I good enough to do this? Um, it's again, it's that continuation. Mm-hmm. Be a middle-aged white guy, I, just say yes, <laughs> just like channel, channel me and Paul, and just I be will. like, am I good enough for this? That is a thought that has literally never crossed my mind. Like, I just fuck it and do it. Let's see what happens. Like, <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. That will be my new mantra. Um, and yeah, just working and um, doing communications um, for We Are Here Scotland. Um, yeah, so much. So yeah. much going on. Yeah, but thanks. This has been great. No, not no, at no. all. It's Appreciate been a pleasure to in. sit down and, and it's been so nice to talk to somebody that's like so many common... So we like a Podcasters Union episode anyway, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we've got a bingo card full of the ones in Glasgow and we'll just gradually just chalk them off <laughs> one at a time. But we're looking to get in for a while, so it's been great to speak to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Can- you.